Today's episode is brought to you by Ashore, the platform for booking stays in the UK's best remote work homes. When it comes to hybrid working, you probably think of working from home, part-time at the office, or maybe a co-working space. Ashore offers a new option. Remote work stays in homes located in some of the most beautiful towns and villages in the UK, from Margate to Sky. Every home has at least one best-in-class workspace with 4K monitors, Herman Miller chairs, and verified internet. It is founded by my former colleague from Wenning Government, but still friend, Alan McLean-Jones. Just sign up at ashore.partners forward slash JJ. That is ashore.partners forward slash JJ for early access to their amazing network of homes. The link is also in the show notes of this episode. Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. When I started this podcast, today's guest was exactly the type of individual I had in mind. Val started Zero Avia five years ago. It's a hydrogen aviation company and has recently gained national and international press for flying the first flights around the United Kingdom solely powered by hydrogen. This could be massive towards our net zero targets. In fact, when we had Grant Shapps, the Net Zero and Energy Secretary of State on the show, he rated Zero Avia as one of the most exciting companies that he's ever seen. They're a company called Zero Avia. They've managed to fly an aircraft uh, with one of the engines on hydrogen. They're not the only ones doing it, but I think it's very impressive. And if politicians don't do it for you, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos have both invested in this company. It's amazing how they're based in California, but also based in the Cotswolds as well here in the United Kingdom. It's a terrific episode. So let's join Val in the cockpit. Val, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thank you very much. Great to be here. And so you started this idea five years ago, and it's been an extraordinary upturn in the last 18 months in particular. But talk us through how and why you started it five years ago. Absolutely. So uh, my background, my regional background is physics, uh, physics PhD, um, got in the US, uh, then worked in uh, management consulting, McKinsey and Company, Google, uh, but um, always uh, uh, was in the entrepreneurial domain as well. Uh, so I guess I got this from my experience in Silicon Valley in 1998 uh, or so in the heights of the dot-com boom, uh, started a couple of companies. And then my previous company before Zeravi, um that I started in 2011, uh, was working on the uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructure uh, for electric cars. Uh, we hit the right um, uh, sort of combination of the product and market, and we uh, grew that company to be the largest network of smart charging stations for electric cars. Um, the idea was 100% renewable grid of the future will require a lot of battery storage to manage intermittency of production. And uh, batteries in electric cars are the best source of that battery capacity. So we built a platform around that. Started the company, grew it, uh, and then a company was acquired um, five years ago. Uh, so when I started thinking about what's next and the 
combination of the sustainable transportation uh, threat and aviation made uh, the most sense. Uh, I'm a pilot myself for the last uh, 20 years, um, you know, helicopters, airplanes. I really love the uh, uh, industry, love flying. And I think, in fact, aviation is uh, a great societal good, um, connecting people. Uh, in remote places, connect cultures uh, so that we, you know, we're not afraid of each other. I wouldn't want to see it um, basically die because of the uh, uh, dirty combustion, dirty fossil fuels uh, use. Uh, so I wanted to set up this company to help uh, the industry that I love. So. And I agree with you entirely. I think it's been one of the greatest innovations of the last 40 years has been the proliferation of cheap air travel has opened so much to so many people across the world that it's um it's unrivaled and we and we don't talk about that aspect of it uh, enough there are of course challenges which you're trying to to solve you recently did it it's amazing that um it's become so the entire world has become so accessible to national and international press so i'd love you to talk about that before explaining a bit about what hydrogen is and how it works of course so um when i started the company we uh First and foremost, uh, we uh, defined our mission to uh, be conversion of the mainstream aviation industry, which means large aircraft, long distances. Uh, so these are your commercial airplanes starting from, uh, you know, subcommuters, uh, 10, 20 seats, and then going to larger planes, sort of regional jets, regional uh, large propeller aircraft. Uh, and then going to uh, larger and larger airframes. If you frame the mission like that, it's pretty clear very quickly that you need a lot of energy over a long period of time to carry those vehicles with large number of passengers or cargo over those distances. So that immediately uh, takes the batteries out of the equation uh, because you can't really power um, the aircraft, which is very energy hungry. Uh, for that long period of time with batteries. You do need to get away from combustion uh, of fuel because uh, out of the entirety of climate impact of aviation, two-thirds are in non-carbon sources, right? meaning that even if you take the entire zero net carbon uh, fuel, like sustainable aviation fuels, biofuels, or synthetic fuels, you're solving only one third of the problem because two thirds of the uh, climate impact come from nitrogen oxides, sulfur oxides, particulate emissions, high temperature water vapor, all of those combustion effects at altitude. And the difference between, you know, let's say heavy duty ground traffic uh, like trucks, lorries, and um, aircraft is that the emissions occur at high altitude where they have different impacts. So you need to get away from combustion overall. So you need to go electric, but batteries will not give you enough energy. So the only way to get enough electricity on board the aircraft in flight is to use hydrogen in the fuel cell to produce electricity. And that's how we, get, we can get enough energy on board the aircraft. Hydrogen actually is a very energy-dense substance. Um, on a per kilogram basis, it's three times better than jet fuel. Right, so you you have something that can be zero emission that can carry three times more energy per kilogram of weight than what we're using today. Now, of course, there are technological challenges in converting it to electricity, 
in the lightweight package. There are challenges in storing it on board the aircraft. There are challenges on the electric motors, right? So all of those engineering challenges, we set up the company. But basic concept is hydrogen on board the aircraft, goes through the fuel cell, converts to electricity, electricity goes to the motors, um, and motors rotate whatever propulsors we have, propellers on smaller planes large fans in the larger planes. So that's what Zerada uh, is doing. And how, talk us through your latest flight and how far you've been able to go. Exactly. So we have flown, uh, to date we have flown three prototypes throughout the history of the company, uh, five plus years. Uh, we have been showing pretty much every year there is a major significant demonstration uh, of uh, our increasing capabilities and technology. And the latest one was January this year. Uh, the first flight of our full-size prototype, a 20-seat aircraft uh, out of Cotswold Airports, uh, beautiful Cotswolds. And uh, that was a full-size engine, full-size aircraft, getting us ready for certification submission later this year with the Civil Aviation Authority in the UK. This was the world's largest hydrogen electric aircraft. That's a major milestone, not only for us, but uh, also for the industry overall and for the UK. We had great support from uh, the UK government in all this. So why are you doing so much of this in the UK and why so much of it in the Cotswolds as well? It's not necessarily an area that's attached with lots of entrepreneurship and, and so on, like you know, sort of East London, perhaps. Why those? Why the UK and why the Cotswolds? Yeah, we're uh, bringing entrepreneurship from Silicon Valley to uh, to the UK. Yeah, so uh, the UK uh, ha story has started in, uh, I think, 2018, actually, about a year after I started the company, um, when we were exploring how we're going to capture European markets. Right. And, and remember, you know, when I started the company, it was 27, end of 2017. Uh, so in the U.S., uh, federal administration, J Trump just came to power. Uh, federal administration was not really interested in the sustainability uh, agenda. Um, and uh, on top of that, we saw that uh, from the airline um, aviation market uh, readiness perspective uh, and the government support, uh, Europe was definitely a hotspot. Um, for the transition. So already, uh, you know, in Europe, in continental Europe, Clean Sky Initiative with the European Union already was thinking about so what's, what are we going to do for aviation. In the UK, of course, uh, there was already some traction. What we did with one of our early investors, Systemic, uh, System IQ, we had them help us do the strategic review of all the markets uh, in Europe um, and see, based on the government support, based on the uh, importance of the industry as a critical sector, based on the uh, existing sort of you know labor base and uh, the companies, what are the best places for us to be? And uh, France and UK came on top. Uh, we decided to go UK because it's you know culturally closer to uh, uh, to our operation here in the US, uh, and we went to the UK government uh, specifically you know ATI and Innovate UK and said hey we want to uh, put a major subsidiary here uh, help us out and we uh, structured a project around it um, uh, around our first uh, uh, UK based prototype uh, demonstration of the technology with the idea that we would you know continue to develop it there. Um, and they thought it's a great idea. They gave us our first grant um, in uh, 2019, and that's what uh, uh, brought the company uh, to to the UK. And at that time, I had uh, like one full time employee. 
um, in the UK. And now I have over 150, I think. I will come back to the jobs bit in just a moment, obviously sort of theme of the show. But just before that, you touched there about kind of the government's role in this. And I'm super interested as to what you think government does going forward when it comes to hydrogen and how can it play a key role in the development? Great question. Absolutely can. Um, I think already a lot is being done, uh, but um, I think where specifically UK uh, can have a disproportionate role, I think, is uh, we're helping companies like us drive the innovation uh, in this space. And I'm, of course, you know, particularly biased towards aviation, but uh, there are a lot of opportunities elsewhere. I think the overall theme is that there are these major transitions that are happening. Yeah, and aviation is one transition that is just beginning. And you can see even in the last 12, 18 months, the sort of intensity of conversation going up and up and up. Yeah. So now we have the majors uh, like Airbus have announced that they're going to hydrogen. Embraer, I think, did the same thing. Um, Rolls-Royce did some demonstrations. So the, the transition is happening. Now, my firm belief, and actually you look at the history uh, of major transformations, and you will see that vast majority of those major transformations in the industries are done and driven by small companies, aggressive startups like us that don't have anything to lose. They are 100% committed to, uh, to the transition. They don't have any, um, you know, legacy incumbent business that they need to cannibalize. Um, so innovation is driven by companies like this. So the UK government has a unique opportunity here to support that innovation disproportionately so that the technologies that are developed in the UK can drive the worldwide transitions. Uh, and I think that's, that's a big role uh, that the government can play. Um, and already there are vehicles set up uh, to to potentially do this, like uh, ATI in the in the aviation sector and so forth, um, I think there is also an opportunity, uh, sort of matching opportunity uh, in the regulatory sector, to create an environment, for example, with civil aviation authority that allows fast experimentation in in the space. And right now, that's not quite the case. It's substantially easier, for example, for a company like us, to fly an experimental aircraft in the U.S., in the uh, uh, FAA uh, jurisdiction uh, versus um, any jurisdiction in Europe. And UK is probably easier, but uh, it's still much, much harder uh, than the U.S. So that's where the government can you know, disproportionately uh, have a role. And where do you think we'll be in 5, 10 to 15 years' time? When will we start to see the first mid-haul to long-haul flights potentially coming? You know, frequently asked question, of course, on, uh, okay, well, we're a great technology, great, uh, you know, pitch, but uh, when, when will I be able to buy a ticket right, <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. these things? Yeah. So uh, our first product entry is uh, uh, just in two years, right? So we're already flying that size aircraft, that size engine, so now we're going to certification. Uh, and, and, you know, there are about 10,000 aircraft like this, 10 to 20 seaters in commercial operation worldwide. So that's already a significant market. There's a number of them operated in the UK. We have some large partners there. Uh, but of course, most of the market is in larger airplanes. We get to narrow body jets, which is Boeing 737 or uh, Airbus A320. Uh, within the next 10 years. There are no physics reasons or chemistry or scientific uh, barriers there. 
there is a lot of engineering to be done. One of the success stories, I guess, for, for the government support in the UK is that uh, we brought one of our partners with the innovative technology in the fuel cells that will enable those large aircraft uh, applications to the UK. They were a foreign company, and uh, we brought that entire team of almost 50 people, uh, very, very high-level engineers in their field, the, the world's class team. Uh, from a number of locations to the UK. So we, we now have a location in uh, uh, Sandwich, Kent, uh, that does, uh, you know, world's leading uh, uh, work on high temperature fuel cells for aviation. Um, and so over the next 15, 20 years, we expect our technology to be applicable to all of those size of aircraft. And then, you know, after it's available commercially, then, of course, there is a turnover of, of the fleet, right? Because the uh, typical aircraft in service uh, spends about 30 years in service. Yeah. Uh, so that's a natural replacement cycle for the aircraft. Uh, the natural replacement cycle for engines is probably, you know, 10, 15 years. So we need, you know, once the technology is available, we rely on the push from the public, from the governments to actually. Uh, accelerate the transition. So with that push and this kind of timeline, we can probably expect within the next 30 years, um, a majority of mid-hole flights or short and mid-hole flight to be transitioned and uh, long haul on the way there. Right. So that's sort of the, uh, the optimistic story. Uh, there for aviation amazing and you've gone from one employee to 150 now so what roles are in hydrogen at the moment from one in 2019 to uh, 150 plus uh, today with 40 roles open um, uh, for the company in the uk uh, we are we're hiring we try to uh, see in the people who are coming in, uh, trying to see the experience uh, that they might have outside of the aviation or in non-traditional areas, as what we're trying to do here is uh, quite innovative and uh, unusual with respect to um, what typically would people would work on. And also the, the, the mode of working is more of the Silicon Valley uh, style uh, startup with the uh, with the trials and um, uh, and iterations rather than uh, designing everything you know 100 percent precise spending years and years in design and then you know implementing it right so it's it's somewhat different approach uh, so culturally it's a little bit different um, and uh, at this point uh, we we find that as much as we can source from the uh, from the existing labor markets uh, we need to move more and more towards sort of creating our own talents and uh, we've set up uh, as a company a great uh, graduate program hired a few people dedicated to just that that run uh, programs with the universities with several uk universities now which which uk universities uh, cranfield university of bath uh, nottingham and and a number of others yeah and and there are specific uh, you know strong points in those universities like cranfield for example has some hydrogen programs already yeah nottingham has a, a an awesome uh, power electronics motor base uh, motor design base um, uh, programs in there uh, Bath has some fuel cell uh, capabilities as well, right? So we have uh, this graduate program that goes into all those universities, 
sets up the relationships already with students um, at the master's graduate levels, and then they join us. And in fact, we we have brought in, I think, over well over 20 people into the company on their graduate programs uh, already, right? And we set them up just a few months ago. So this has been a great success. So we're, we're, we're making the talents for this new aviation future um, in the UK. That is really interesting. And what jobs do you think will be created by hydrogen in the future? Yeah, if you're a young person listening to this thinking, I want to work in this leading creator sector that's, uh, that you guys are pioneering, what would be your advice in terms of you know how to go about it, where to go? You know, anything uh, related to uh, going through the value chain, right? So you need to produce hydrogen. Yeah. So somehow... All of that uh, uh, hydrogen need to be made. Uh, the uh, uh, predominant way over time will be electrolytic hydrogen production. So that's electricity splitting water. Um, hopefully, you know, green electricity from renewable power, right, coming in. Uh, UK has uh, a lot of wind power, for example, offshore wind, onshore wind. So, so that's a great, uh, great source. Um, so. Working in the technology around the uh, uh, electrolysis and uh, setting up those production uh, facilities is uh, definitely a fast-growing field. Uh, the operations jobs around that uh, are um, uh, going to be quite in demand as well. So sort of understanding the safety aspects of uh, uh, hydrogen uh, you know, production, handling, storage, all of that. Those are actually some of the uh, skills that, um, uh, you know, can be upskilled from any of the fossil fuel um, uh, work. In fact, we have uh, some of the a number of employees um, at Zero Avia that are coming from oil and gas industry, right? And sort of changing their um, orientation towards uh, you know hydrogen as fuel because a lot of things translate. Yeah, you, you in oil and gas you deal with uh, flammable uh, you know explosive substances. Hydrogen is also uh, you know a flammable gas uh, that needs certain safety attention. Um, and uh, you know, we find that those skills translate. You of course need to upskill uh, uh, folks a little bit, but uh, uh, they translate. So that's around hydrogen production and storage. Then um, you have on the utilization side, for us in aviation, of course, um, uh, this is around fuel cell technology um, and uh, uh, the development of that. So uh, we, of course, have uh, some significant capabilities in-house, but uh, there is a lot of opportunity to uh, create more uh, jobs there and more opportunities there. Um, And then uh, finally, on the... uh, fuel cells produce electricity, then you have electric motors, power electronics, uh, and this is not just about aviation, but it's about transportation overall, right? Everything is moving to electric. Uh, so the, the, the overall story of how we're going to make the world sustainable is move as much, electrify as much as possible, and then clean up uh, the electricity as much as possible, right? So everything is moving to electric, which means that motor technology, power electronics technology is be in great demands. Uh, so those areas is where I would go. And where else are you most excited about hydrogen being applicable to? Because this is one of the great things that particularly happens in the Valley, right? There's lots of cross-pollination between different 
um, sectors. Yeah. Where else do you think it could work really well? So uh, from the transportation perspective, heavy duty sector is quite interesting. Uh, that's, uh, you know, trucks, lorries, uh, long distance uh, road transports. Quite a substantial uh, use case, uh, at least in some countries, uh, like the U.S. has, I think, over a million trucks uh, operating. Uh, so it's a major fuel uh, user and major polluter, of course, uh, with uh, diesel engines. And it's uh, very suitable for, for hydrogen as you have smaller number of fueling locations that you need. They're larger locations, so they're, uh, uh, you know, the economics of, the, uh, of those locations better than, than cars, for example. And the utilization mode of those vehicles is such that you, you don't really have that much time for recharge so so the batteries might work for shorter trips but for longer trips higher utilization hydrogen with refueling times similar to fossil fuel refueling times is is much easier uh, so that's on the transportation side sort of outside of the transport i think industrial uses uh in for example steel production are quite interesting processing the iron ore into into steel uh with uh you know not a carbon-based process, but a hydrogen-based process. There are some uh, trials already there. And uh, these, some of these industrial uses are very, very significant uh, polluters, right? A significant part of the human climate impact. So those are interesting as well. You've got some very impressive investors, such as Shell. Uh, you've also got investment from Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. What's that like as a founder, having perhaps two of the greatest entrepreneurs of the last half century back you does it add an extra level of pressure you know challenge and opportunity uh, at the same time right and uh, you know he's notably linking it back to the um, to the uk story right so 90 percent of our uh, private investment is outside uh, the uk and uh, of course you know 70 percent of the company is in the uk so that's that's where uh, a lot of that money goes uh, so that's great leverage on whatever government support we're getting um and uh, and yeah, it took us uh, took me quite a bit of time to uh, to get key investors on board. Uh, but I had I had the luxury of uh, being able to do that uh, while funding the company, the initial progress of the company myself after the acquisition of my previous company. And it took me eighteen months to get the uh, you know Bill Gates funds to uh, uh, to come in. But um, uh, that was quite catalytic for for the company. So now when we go to the uh, uh, to the investors to, to new investors uh, potential investors they see our uh, investor base um, and they they, they understand um, that these are very high quality uh, investors that uh, took their due diligence they took the long-term view of the opportunity and they all believe in it yeah this was one of the one of the reasons I wanted uh, these funds in is because I they can see the opportunity through. Yeah, they're not just interested in three-year return uh, and then get out of the company, right? They want to power these major transformations of the industry, trillion-dollar industries, right? So um, uh, the risks are higher, but the prizes are higher as well. Do you think that's something that the UK can learn more from Silicon Valley is about that patient capital, particularly in? scientific breakthroughs like this area we have some uh, uh european investors uh and uh at least uh one uk-based investor uh ap ventures uh which is a specialized uh, sort of hydrogen technology fund uh, in london 
But our experience uh, with the European venture capital was generally not as great. Um, it's just a level of ambition and risk tolerance is not is not there, right? So uh, people are, and, and at the same time, uh, the check sizes are smaller, right? So it's a, it's like a double whammy situation where uh, you know the risk appetite is lower and the amount of money that people are willing to invest is lower. Uh, so I think uh, European VC market is losing out on the opportunities uh, with respect to the U.S. and Silicon Valley because you know there's more aggressive approach there and uh, the check sizes are higher. So a lot of the companies go uh, fundraise uh, and in in the U.S. as a result and establish U.S. operations, uh, um, you know, to support that. On the on the venture capital side, uh, you know, some European uh, venture capital can learn from that because you know that that's where the companies go, right? Yeah, uh, where there is availability of funding. Totally. Um, we're going to move into a few more sort of personal questions, but the last one I just wanted to ask you on the aviation hydrogen side is: if you don't succeed, do you think there's a danger that aviation might die out? Great question. Substantially reduced. I think there is a, there is a certain um, sort of minimum world connectivity that 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 we absolutely must have, right? Uh, we we can't be completely isolated, so there's probably not die out type of question, but significantly constrained, and that would not be a good thing, right? Back to uh, my point earlier, I think more connectivity uh, among people is better than less connectivity. Uh, in a big part, I think, you know, yes, there's a business impact and all those things, but, um, yeah, there's, you know, vacations to be had in nice places, but the, the bigger sort of macro impact I think is, you know, the more isolated people are, the more they're afraid of each other. Yeah. They just don't understand the cultures. There is no intermixing and all that. And this is just not good for the world's security. Yeah, so I think one of the big roles for aviation is to bring the cultures closer together so that people understand each other better and they don't fight, you know? Yeah. For that alone, I think, you know, aviation needs to uh, expand. So I think we must have the solution uh, for this because if we don't, then we already see all the other sectors like a power sector, transportation, ground transport uh, going to clean future already right so this clear uh vectors there yeah the power sector is becoming all renewable renewable now is the cheapest power plant you can build uh, so obviously it goes there electric cars you know with tesla and elon musk uh, you know pu- pushing the transition they all go there so as all of these sectors get better and better aviation becomes larger and larger part of the of this total it's already five to ten percent of the climate impact right three percent carbon but we talked about non-carbon sources yeah so five to ten percent of the total, uh, and and then you know if you just continue on the trajectory as usual uh, with all the other sectors getting better, it can be twenty five, fifty percent by twenty fifty, right? Yeah. Uh, so we can't continue doing what we're doing. So we need we need the transition technology. It becomes a preserve of the rich again is the danger if it if you aren't successful. I suppose is a better way of of putting it. How do you think your multicultural background sort of impacted you, right? Because you were born in Russia, you've studied in the US, you've worked all over. How has that impacted your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's great impact. And actually, so when I was uh, in management consulting uh, with McKinsey, right, a global uh, consulting company, 
I worked, so my clients were all over Europe, all over Asia. So uh, I got experience uh, in those areas as well, working across large companies, small companies, Asian uh, cultures, uh, European, US. I think that gives great perspective on how the world works. And for a global industry like aviation, that is actually quite important because you know, we have partners uh, uh, as aircraft manufacturers and uh, maintenance repair organizations and airlines all over the world. Yeah? And we have to understand how to, how to work with uh, all of those people. Uh, we have investors uh, from all over the world, uh, and we also need to understand how to work with, uh, with those people as well. Um, uh, most of those partners are large companies, um, which means that we need to understand what makes them tick, how their process works. So I think for entrepreneurs, especially in, in these industries, um, large industries, global industries uh, with global footprints, uh, it's quite important to have that background. And your dad was an oil engineer in Western Siberia. Is that what you think sparked a love of science and energy? Well, yeah, actually, a lot of a lot of this coming from uh, from my parents. Uh, so my father is actually trained as avionics engineer. Oh, right. At, at his uh, you know graduate school. Uh, so this is you know electronics for uh, for airplanes, basically, right? But then. Um, I think he he got into oil industry because you know the, the pay was great and uh, the opportunities were great and it was in the in the sixties I guess sixties seventies where there were a lot of new fields discovered especially in in you know Siberia and so that's how we ended up uh, in those places uh, but we I, I remember uh, as a child we always had uh, you know pictures of airplanes and uh, you know uh, watching air shows on TV so the aviation was definitely a big part of it and, and my mother um, pushed me early on into uh, physics um, as a domain so she just you know uh, detected interest in math and physics and started buying me books and taking me to some uh, you know extracurricular activities around that and uh, that's that's how I think the, those two things combined uh, yeah and you won some nationwide physics awards in Russia when you were growing up right that must have given you quite a boost yeah that was uh, the biggest uh, sort of impact of that was that I was able to uh, qualify for admission into uh, Moscow Institute for Physics and Technology which was uh, the leading technical school in Russia. Mm. Um, it was sort of modeled after MIT uh, in the U.S., uh, created after the war, I think, in 1947, sort of be the, uh, the top technical school uh, in Soviet Union, winning national physics competitions uh, for two years in a row uh, helped me get there, right? So that, that was formative experience. That's how I got to Moscow. And, uh, and eventually, that's how I was able to... Uh, uh, get to the United States uh, right after getting my master's there. And what is the best, we touched on books there and the importance of them growing up. What's the best entrepreneurial business book you've read over the last few years, or even just any book that you've particularly enjoyed? Books, 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 books. A lot of books that I read recently, uh, actually on uh, exploration of human potential mm. i would i would describe them more like this uh and i find that uh a lot of uh, uh 
a lot of thoughts there translate into entrepreneurship as well, into building new companies um, and uh, sort of challenging the boundaries. Um, I myself had, you know, I guess, uh, fueled a little bit or, or triggered a bit by uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that. Uh, I, I had started uh, a little bit of exploration in the, uh, uh, you know, personal uh, development and sports uh, domain. So a lot of that um, actually translated into some uh, interesting implications for uh, for the business as well. Was there one particular sports story that stuck with you from that reading? It's not not even the sports story, but uh, I got into uh, the cold exposure Wim Hof uh, methods. Uh, you know, if you're familiar, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, that's actually uh, what was was pretty impactful for me. Well, from the health perspective uh, as well, but uh, more so from the perspective of you think there's something that, you know, you absolutely cannot do, right? So it's just, you know, it doesn't doesn't look like something you can do, like go, go into freezing water and sit there for 10 minutes, right? Mm. But actually you can. And there are a lot of things like that. So I did my first Ironman, for example, in the, in, in December. Uh, of last year yeah and before that i thought well there's no way right yeah you can go for hours and hours and hours and this was some you know just you watch it on youtube and you're like i admire those people right but you actually can and the the limits to human capabilities whether it's sports or entrepreneurship or cold water environmental exposure is so far out there so much further out there than we think it's incredible, right? And the realization of that is important, right? And then in the, in the personal um, sort of development story, getting to realize that is quite important as well because then you, you, you know you can push so much further than you thought possible. That is a very rousing finish as well, Val. Just one final question. Is there an entrepreneur that you've met in the last couple of years that maybe hasn't got as much profile yet that we should go and talk to? We call this section sort of passing the mic. Well, the first name that uh, came to mind was uh, Trevor Best, the uh, fellow portfolio company, actually, of Horizon Ventures. Um, they have a company called Syzygy, uh, and they have a quite innovative way to uh, produce not just hydrogen, but um, a, a number of uh, interesting uh, 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 chemicals uh, with their uh, uh, unique type of the um, uh, photochemical reactor that uh, uh, they're developing. Um, and uh, uh, he's, you know, strikes me as a uh, energetic forward, uh, forward looking and with macro perspective on things, right? So it's not just about, okay, let's build a business and make some money uh, or even make great technology, but let's make that uh, better for the world. That's brilliant. Can I just ask you a couple of quick fire ones as well? Sure. What's your favorite electric car brand? Tesla. Next question. Nikola Tesla or Thomas Edison? Uh, Nikola Tesla. Einstein or Newton? Einstein. If you could do any job in the world, what would it be? Probably education. In education. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. What's the first plane you flew? Myself, I flew the Cessna 172 as a pilot. And where would you most like to fly a hydrogen plane to if it was the last flight you ever took? I would probably fly it to Hawaii. Brilliant. Super. Val, thank you so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. It's been brilliant. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. 
We've come a long way since our first episode, when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship, and the future of work, or some of our more lighthearted takes on TikTok. And of course, our best moments are on YouTube. To find all our socials and best content links, click on the links in the show notes below.